Thank you guys all so very much for allowing me to come and share with you. This is my second time here. The first time my family came to see Rick get ordained. And when we left here, my wife, my kids, and me all said, wow, I wish Parker was closer to Littleton because we love this church so much. Some of you may have worked with my wife. She's worked with this church in Project 127. And then even on top of that, as Mark mentioned, I was able to go to the men's retreat and we just see the fingerprints of God all over your staff, all over your church. And if the proof of, of the eating is in the pudding, uh, then at RP, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And so love this church and what God is doing. At the men's retreat, I uh, shared with them how I have five children. And when my kids were younger, they loved to tell jokes, but not good jokes, really bad jokes. And my wife and our, her wisdom, because we were so frustrated and tired of hearing the jokes, decided that we would give them a comedy hour where they could air all of their really, really bad jokes. And so we'd get together in our living room and one by one, they would give, give us their jokes. And so one night, uh, my first son uh, came and it's like, okay, I got the first joke. Did you hear the one about Jesus going into the bar? He said, I'll just have water. Like, ah, okay, we see what you did there. All right. Um, my wife's like, okay, no more bar jokes because we're Baptist. Uh, and so then my other son was like, well, you know what the advantages of living in Switzerland is? Well, the flag's a big plus. <laughs> I told you, it's bad. All right. My daughter was like, hey, do you know what you call a reluctant potato? A hesitator. My younger son came and was like, well, I really think that we need to begin to let people know the health benefits of dried grapes. It's called raisin awareness. <laughs> and on and on it goes. It got worse and worse and worse. And, uh, and, and then finally, Cece, my youngest, walks in. And Cece's on the autism spectrum he was, and was also young and didn't do jokes, didn't pick up on social clues. And Cece walks in and says to my daughter, Maddie, Cece says, Maddie, do you know what's better than pizza? We all were amazed and shocked that Cece was going to tell a joke. And so all of our eyes were on Cece. And then Cece said, Maddie, do you know what's better than pizza? And my daughter looked and said, no. And Cece said, yeah, me neither. <laughs> and he walked away. That was the best joke of the night. So also this morning, I say to you guys, do you know what's better than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Me neither. To know that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. To know that he took on our sins so that God will wipe away our sins as far as the east is from the west. To know that we're not ashamed of the gospel because in it is the power of God of salvation for all who believe and in it the righteousness of God is revealed. To know this beautiful truth that in Christ that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. To know as um, uh, the worship pastor led, read earlier that um, God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what's better than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, me neither. But often when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, we kind of picture it like a one-topping pizza. That is, we focus on one aspect of the salvation when really there's so much more that's there. For some of us, maybe when we think of salvation, we think of the gospel, we think of forgiveness. And true, 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 sure, 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 forgiveness is a beautiful, delicioso topping on that pizza. But what we'll see in scripture is that even though forgiveness is, is important and a key ingredient to the gospel pizza, it, it's probably not even the most chief aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sure, God loves us and there's nothing that we can do about it. But forgiveness, um, it, there, there's more to salvation than just forgiveness. 
For others of you, maybe your pizza, one-topping pizza, focuses on everlasting life. And yes, uh, John tells us in John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. Ah, that's a beautiful topping. It's so good. It's so fantastic. It's a key ingredient. But what we see in the New Testament is that even though it's a key ingredient, it's probably not the most important ingredient that is stressed in the New Testament among the New Testament authors. And so this morning, I want to give you what is one of the major toppings that sometimes we neglect, and arguably um, the, the most important topping in the New Testament. And that is the topping of freedom. So if you have your Bibles, put them in the air. Actually, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians. Um, And Galatians, according to New Testament scholars, is not only Paul's first letter that he wrote, but it's actually the very first New Testament document that we have. And so when we would come and see the very first time someone puts pen uh, to paper to write about the gospel, what is it that this person is going to trace out, underline, and highlight? In Galatians 1, Paul says that Jesus Christ, he gave himself for our sins. And we expect at this point, for many of us who have grown up in kind of the American Protestant tradition, for Paul to say at this point that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Again, that's true, but that's not what Paul says. Galatians 1, 4. Maybe some of us, again, who have grown up in like a revival tradition, we expect Paul to say Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins in order that we can go to heaven when we die or that we can have life forever. You're killing me, Smalls. Um, that, that we can live forever, that we have that aspect. I should have warned you, I have ADHD. Your men who went on the men's retreat know that, so please bear with me with all of kind of the randomness that comes to my mind. Um, but yeah, so that, 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 that Paul would say that. But in Galatians 1.4, that's not what Paul says. The very first statement of the gospel is that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins so that we could be set free from this present evil age. He gave himself for our freedom. As we go throughout Galatians, we see that this is the keynote. This is what Paul, he trumpets out throughout. He's going to go on to say that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He's going to say that um, because we were called to freedom, we no longer use our uh, freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. And for Paul in Galatians, Christ came to deliver us from one or two slopes that we slide down. On the one hand, he came to save us from legalism. And on the other hand, he came to save us from our lust, from self-righteousness, and also from our sinful desires. You see, Paul understood, to borrow from uh, the story of the prodigal son, that we either, either have a tendency to be the prodigal son or the older brother. And Christ came to set us free from both of those. And this morning, I want to just walk you through bit by bit and verse by verse of Galatians 5, 16 through 18, because this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where Paul really kind of drum rolls and brings it to a crescendo as he gets to the point of bringing the conclusion home to what is the true understanding and aspect and underlining of this freedom. And so Galatians 5, 16, Paul says this, and I say to you, continue to walk, walk, walk by the power of the Spirit, and you will not ever, 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 ever fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, the flesh desires that which is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires that which is against the flesh. These things are opposed to one another. They resist one another in order that you do not do whatever you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul begins unpacking and underlining this freedom that we have with this command. 
walk by the power of the Spirit. Some of your translations may have the word live by the power of the Spirit. It's a good word, live, but more literally, the translation here would be walk by the power of the Spirit. And to me, this hits me because often when it comes to my own desires to be set from jealousy, my own desires to be set free from the anger that I have, especially when I'm driving um, in, uh, in Denver, um, the, the, the desires that I have to be fret, set free from uh, lust and selfish ambition and all these different things, man, I don't want to walk. I want to jump. I want to zoom. I want to fly. I don't want to walk. Walking, it takes too long. Walking, it wears you out. But when Paul comes to begin to say that it's the freedom that we were called to freedom, but the way that we get to that freedom is walking. I think Paul understands that it's not a bolting. It's not a zooming past, but instead that step by step, movement by movement, is walking in the spirit is what helps us achieve the freedom, the liberty, the life in which Christ gave himself for us. I think Paul would really resonate with uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, comment where he comes and says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep on moving. For some of us, we're struggling with the flesh and the, the desires and the habits of the past and maybe trauma and we may just be crawling. But the point is, is that Paul is calling us to keep on moving. In fact, uh, this verb that he uses here for walk has this continuous aspect. Paul doesn't come and say, take a step toward freedom. He doesn't say, uh, just take three steps toward freedom. But instead, this idea has continued to take step by step by step by step by step. And for some of you here this morning, there's been a time where you've taken a step. Or maybe once was a time you were walking in the Spirit, but you've stopped. And Paul comes and says, no, you have to continue to walk by the Spirit. Another aspect of this word is that it is something that we have to do. Again, when it comes to me wanting to be set free from my materialism, from my idolatry, I want God to do it all. Like, God, can you give me a pill? God, can you just plug me up to the matrix? Can, can you do something like this? But Paul comes and says, no, the honest is on us. It is of our own volition. We have to choose to walk by the Spirit. God gives us his choice to do this and says, we choose to keep on walking. It's something that doesn't just happen to us. It's something that we collaborate with God, that we go side by side with the Lord. It comes to this walk. And then the third aspect of this verb is that it's a command. Paul doesn't come and say, Luke, I really encourage you. You ought to think about walking by the Spirit. It's not like that. He doesn't come and say, Kyle, I'm going to cheer you on. Yeah, you, you maybe, maybe it might be a good idea for you to walk by the Spirit. But instead, he comes and gives us a command. Walk by the power of the Spirit. When my kids were younger, probably about the same time that we were doing the comedy hour, uh, they picked up a nasty habit. We would tell them to do something and they would look at us and say, what are my options? So we would tell our kids, clean up your room. And they would say, well, what are my options? And like, you don't have any options. Uh, you know, your options are clean up your room or cease to exist, right? Th those are your options. But when Paul comes and uses this word, walk by the power of the spirit, there are no options. Your options is that if you either walk by the spirit or the enemy is going to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your marriage, your family, all that you have. We have to walk by the power of the Spirit. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, we get tired like we're going up the Manitou incline or like we're walking up a 14. It's tiring. But the good news is that Paul comes and says, we walk, but not by ourselves. He comes and says, walk by the power 
of the Spirit. Now, some of your translations may have something different than by the power of the Spirit. There's three different ways. All of them are valid to translate this phrase in the Spirit. Um, It could be walk in the Spirit. If this is the case, then Paul's uh, understanding of salvation that he is spelling out here is this idea that once in the past, we were in this neighborhood uh, where we spent most of our days, um, but there were a couple of guys up to no, I'm sorry, uh, we were in this neighborhood, and this neighborhood is known and marked and characterized by flesh, 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 sin, 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 death, 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 bondage, 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 slavery, frustration, confusion. That's who we used to be. That's what we were when we were dead in our trespasses. But God loved us so much and he made us alive in Christ. And when we died with Christ in baptism and was raised again, we're no longer in this neighborhood. God moves us from this neighborhood and we're moving on up. And he moves us to a new sphere, a new area of life, a new reality. We're no longer, is it flesh, 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 sin, 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 death, 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 slavery, slavery, slavery. But now it is spirit, 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 life, 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 joy, 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 freedom, freedom, freedom. We're no longer marked by the works of the flesh that Paul's going to go on and uh, list in a moment. But now we walk in this sphere of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it may be Paul saying, hey, it is necessary. You must no longer walk in this neighborhood where you used to live when you were dead and you did those things that you're no longer proud of that brought destruction into your life. Now we live in a whole new world and we walk in that area. Don't go back to where you used to be. Could be that idea. It could also be translated as walk with the Spirit. And this actually uh, accords well with the tenor of the metaphor that Paul is using here. Later on, he's going to say, not only do we walk by the Spirit, but as we saw in verse 18, we are led by the Spirit. The Spirit is that which leads us. Later on, he's going to say that we keep in step with the Spirit. We keep cadence with the Spirit. And so it could be this idea where, yes, the flesh is still there. Yes, we have that struggle, but we have to choose to walk. But guess what? We don't walk alone. Instead, God has given us the Spirit, and everywhere we go, every step we take, the Spirit is there. It's like Roy Kent. It's here, it's there, it's every, everywhere. And the Spirit, it doesn't let us down. It doesn't leave us. It doesn't forsake us or abandon us. It's with us wherever we go. And so this may be the idea that, yes, we are walking towards love. Yes, we are walking towards that joy. Yes, we're walking towards freedom, but we're not having to walk by ourselves. And the third way is how I translated it. Walk by the power of the Spirit. I think those other two are necessarily true. I think they're very important. We are in a whole new world, a new sphere. And yes, the Spirit of God is with us. But also, we don't walk by our own strength, but we walk by the strength and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power of God, the same power of God's Spirit that spoke creation into existence is the same power available for you. The same power of God, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is on offer for you. And if the power of God can speak forth creation out of darkness and light into darkness, if the power of God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, don't you think it can help you get over yourself? Don't you think it's greater than the anger that you're struggling with? Don't you think it's more powerful than the substance abuse that you're wrestling with? Your gambling addiction, the power of God is greater. And so Paul comes and says, you must walk by the power of the Spirit. It's not by your own might. It's not by your own strength. It's not by your knowledge. It's not about your heritage or your religious tradition. It's by the power of God that we achieve the freedom that he has called us to achieve. 
It's interesting that in the, in the Greek, the original language, Paul puts actually this in the spirit, by the spirit, with the spirit at the very beginning of the sentence. Because this is what he wants to underline, underscore, highlight. That the spirit of God is necessary for who we are. It's interesting that in our tradition, that the spirit of God is not something that we usually emphasize as much. Right? Um, even I grew up in a tradition, a Baptist tradition, where our Holy Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Yeah, and like we were a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. But, but even wider in the American Christian culture, think about it. When Christmas comes around, we're all in. Let's go. Easter, man, it's our Super Bowl Sunday. If there's no Easter, then we're, we're useless. We're, we're, we're to be most pitied of all people. But when Pentecost Sunday comes around, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit coming down as much as Christmas and Easter. For some of you, you didn't even realize that last weekend was Pentecost Sunday. You may, like, I thought it was Memorial Day. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was Pentecost. And it, it's interesting that for Paul, there ain't no potty like a Holy Ghost potty because a Holy Ghost potty don't stop. The Holy Spirit has to be at the very beginning of our life if we're going to walk in that freedom. And it's not just Paul. Jesus says it himself. He doesn't say, hey, it's good, just good that I came for, and be incarnate, born of a virgin. It's not just good that I've been raised from the dead. It's not just good that I died on the cross. But it is good for me to go away because only when I go away can I send to you the Holy Spirit the counselor to guide you. And so for Paul, he puts this idea of living in the spirit, with the spirit and by the spirit at the very beginning. When my oldest son turned 13, I was so excited. I was living in Arkansas and having to mow the yard in Arkansas, which is one of Dante's levels of hell. Um, just right below listening to Miley Cyrus music um, and, and NASCAR. And so I was so excited that now he's 13, he can start mowing the yard. And so I told him, I was like, well, son, now you're a man and I'm going to give the baton to you to mow the yard. And so he went outside and he was there for about 10 minutes and I never heard the mower crank up. Like, I wonder what happened. And so I get up and I walk outside and he's sitting by the mower weeping. Like, buddy, what's wrong? He's like, dad, I broke the mower. No, you didn't break the mower. And I looked down and sure enough, he had pulled the cord out of the mower. And I was like, ah. It was a cheap Walmart mower, Walmart, Walmart. That's my store. I shop there because I'm poor. Um, and so it was like, okay, you know, it didn't cost that much anyway, but the, the yard is in really bad condition. I'm going to have to mow it. So I go over to my neighbor's house and I ask him if I could borrow his mower, Southern Hospitality. Of course, he takes me to his shed and he opens it up and it's the most beautiful mower I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he opens up this door, like lights shine on it, handles Messiah, ha! I mean, it was beautiful. For those of you who know Tim, the tool man, Taylor, back in the day, um, I had a, a Tim, the tool man reaction. Like, ha, 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 ha. I couldn't wait to get behind uh, this, this uh, lawnmower. And so I get it out and I start uh, mowing in. And it didn't work as well as I thought it did. In fact, it worked worse than my mower. And I didn't understand, but I had to get it mowed. And so I had to push it harder than I usually push my mower. I got about three quarters of the yard mowed. I'm just sweating like profusely. I feel like I'm working out years, if not decades of my purgatory. Um, and then about three quarters of the way, I look down, cursing, praying. Um, and uh, I see something that I'd never noticed on the mower before. Something that my mower didn't have. It had a lever. And I started being curious. Like, I wonder what this lever does. And so I reached down and I grabbed the lever and I pulled it. And you guessed it. It began to propel. It was a self-propelled mower. I was embarrassed, first of all. But then I just started laughing. Because I don't know if there's a better depiction of how my religious life looks than what had just happened. 
and much of my life, and I've tried to do the right thing to please people. I've tried to do the right thing, just even out of the right, the right motivations. I understand that holiness leads to happiness and righteousness leads to joy, but it's hard. And I've pushed and I've pushed and I've pushed so often without actually accessing the lever that God has given me. We don't have to do it with ourselves. God called us into a new sphere and he's giving, given us that power. Look back at your text. Paul says, so I say this, walk by the power of the spirit and you will not ever, 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 ever fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. If you're looking at your English text, you're like, well, mine doesn't say ever, 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 ever. Where are you getting that? Well, um, in the Greek, the original language, this is the strongest way to negate something in that language. And so when Paul comes and says, it's not that you might not sometimes fulfill the desires of the flesh, or you'll most of the time fulfill the desires of the flesh. Paul comes and says, you will not ever. In Arkansas, we would use a double negative here. You will not never. Um, this is Paul coming and saying, nunca, auf Deutsch niemals. Taylor Swift, you are never, ever, ever getting back together. This is that emphasis that Paul is coming to say, that as you're walking with the Spirit, uh, as you walk that, you will not give obligation. You will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. This reminds me of something that Martin Luther uh, said when I read when I was in college. He said that before I understood the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whenever sin would knock on the door, I would answer it. But now that I understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whenever sin knocks on the door, I'll let Christ get the door. When that addiction to pornography knocks, when that envy and jealousy taps on your door, when that anger cries out from outside, you don't have to get the door anymore. God has given you the Spirit of God, and He can answer it. Paul comes and says, you don't have to fulfill the desires of the flesh anymore. Some of you have, uh, your translations are going to translate this as sinful nature rather than flesh. It's an okay translation. Uh, personally, I don't think that um, it picks up what Paul is talking about here. I think flesh is the best way to refer to this, and flesh is more than a sinful nature. Flesh for Paul is a force. It is a power um, that works and operates in our life. And so it's not just how we were raised or genetics, but instead the flesh is this demonic power that comes and it knows where your weakness is. It knows when you're tired and when you want to open the door. It knows your trauma that it can begin to weaponize against you. It knows when you're alone. It knows when you're hungry. It knows your weakness. It's like what we see in Genesis chapter four where God says to Cain, hey, you better watch out because sin is standing there at your door. It is crouching and it wants to grab you, but you must overcome it. This is that idea of the flesh. Yeah, it draws on our Adamic nature, our sinful nature, but it's more than that. It looks like a serpent waiting at the point that you're most vulnerable. It knows when you've had your fight with your wife or your husband. It knows when you're just so frustrated. It knows when you're having a lack of faith and that's when it attacks. And Paul comes and he says, hey, I understand that uh, the flesh is there. And not to make it Pollyanna, Paul goes on to say that this flesh goes against the spirit and the spirit goes against the flesh. So Paul doesn't come and say, it's going to be easy, easy like Sunday morning. He doesn't come and say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, this is going to be just a, a piece of pie. But instead he comes and he has a do, good dose of realism. 
The flesh, it's a power that goes against the desires of the spirit. And the spirit goes against the flesh. So Paul is wanting to highlight this tension, this battlefield between the flesh and the spirit. And it doesn't just restate it backwards and forward, vice versa. But then he underlines it even more and says, these two are opposed to one another. They stand over against the other. Polycarp, sounds like a weird fish, but was really cool church father. He retranslated this. He correct, he polishes Paul's uh, verse and says, the spirit goes against the flesh and the flesh goes against the spirit. And they are at war with one another. You know that, right? You know that battle. You know that struggle where you know what is right. You know what's best for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your life. But that flesh is battling against you and you just feel that tension inside. This is what Paul is underlining. He's saying, hey, I know that it's not easy. There's a battle that's going on. And the flesh and the spirit, they go against one another. Peter is going to write the same thing in First Peter. He says, hey, as aliens and strangers, abstain from those sinful desires that wage war against your soul. We know that struggle and we hear that struggle, we think, ah, oh, there's nothing that we can do. It's, check, it's, uh, it's a stalemate. It's, uh, it, they, they just kind of, uh, they, they overpower one another so that we're just powerless. But that's not what Paul says. Look at the verse. The spirit goes against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. They're opposed to one another so that you do not do whatever you want to do. Now, often this is misinterpreted. To say that since the flesh and the spirit is because that battle is there, we don't do the good things that we want to do. We don't, want, we don't do the holy things that we want to do. We don't do the righteous things that we want to do. But Paul is saying actually just the opposite. Because the flesh goes against the spirit, because there's a war there, we don't do the fleshly desires that we want to do. We don't do whatever we want to do because we are in the spirit, not in the flesh. Because we are with the spirit, not with the flesh. Because we have the power of the spirit, not the power of the enemy. Paul comes and says, hey, because the flesh is against the spirit and spirit is against the flesh, we don't do the fleshly desires, the desires of the flesh that we used to do. This takes us back to Galatians 1, where Paul says Christ gave himself for our sins so that we are set free from this present evil age. We no longer have to be conformed to the, to the pattern of this world. But not just that, but we see in Galatians 5.1 that Paul comes and says, hey, it is for freedom that Christ has called you to be free. And not just there, but 5.13, which is really the rubric, it's the thesis statement of this verse, the umbrella, ella, ella, is that, hey, you have been called into freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. And it's not just here, but later on, he's going to come and say that if anyone belongs to Christ, they have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. And it's not just Galatians. About 10 years later, Paul's going to write it to the Romans. And to the Romans, he's going to say that, hey, guess what? Don't think and don't say that, shall I continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, no, heck to the now, now, to the now, now, now. You died with Christ in baptism. You were buried with Christ in baptism. Therefore, you've been raised to the newness of life. Don't use your new life as an opportunity to give your body to sin again. Sin is no longer the boss of you. Sin is no longer your master. And not just there, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, after he talks about how we no longer walk according to the flesh, but now we walk according to the spirit. And because of that, we're no longer obligated to fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. We have been set free, but we don't use that freedom to fulfill the desires of our flesh. 
Not just there, but later on, toward the end of his life, he writes to Titus that the grace of God has shown up and the grace of God has taught us to say hegnaw to sin and ah, yeah, to righteousness and self-control. Paul understands that there's nothing greater than the gospel and the gospel includes freedom, forgiveness in our past. It includes the promise of future everlasting life. But right here, right now, we have reconciliation with God. Right here, right now, we stand in the presence of God. Right here, right now, we are the temple of God, the holy of holies. God's spirit dwells in us and so we don't treat our body like a wonderland. We don't treat it like an amusement park, but instead we honor God with our body and rather than indulging the flesh, we walk according to the spirit. Amen? That should get us excited. That should make us say, is anything better than the gospel? Yeah, no, me neither. We have the freedom. And Paul ends it by saying this, that as we are led by the Spirit, we're not just walking with him, we're not just um, walking by his power, but we are led by the Spirit. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law of self-righteousness, of judging other people. We're no longer under the law of having to live by bondage to the flesh. But now we can have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm a pastor at New Denver Church as well as uh, working at seminary. And uh, about a month ago, I guess, I took a group of the men on a hike to Cheeseman Canyon. No guys have ever done that hike or not. It's fantastic. Highly recommend. Um, as we were coming uh, towards the end, we noticed that there was a woman there, two women that had three dogs, and uh, there was an opening spa- open space, and they let their dogs off the leash, and two of the dogs, golden retrievers, began to just run and frolic and do what dogs do. I mean, they were like just living their best life. You could just see their joy and their happiness, their satisfaction, and I had this moment like, you know, I, I, that, I, my life goal is to be a golden retriever, you know, just to be, have as much joy in life as these two golden retrievers uh, running and, uh, and, and just enjoying the, the, the meadows um, that was there by the lake. But I'd looked and noticed that the third dog wasn't with the two golden retrievers. And the third dog, rather than running and frolicking and living its best life, was just running in circles around and around and around. I thought it was funny, um, and so I ended up accosting uh, the hiker, and I was like, hey, um, I couldn't help to wonder, but, uh, you know, the other dogs are running like normal dogs, but this dog's just running around in circles. What's wrong with that dog? And she looked at me and said, well, you see, this dog's a rescue dog. We just got her. And all of her life, she's lived in a cage about this big and never had been able to get out. And so whenever she gets happy and excited... She just runs around in circles. She doesn't know how to run like regular dogs. And so she runs around in circles. Now, I hike a lot. I don't cry a lot on hikes. But all of a sudden, I went from mocking this dog to being so sad. And like, hey, I got some dust in my eyes. Not just for the dog, which that really breaks my heart as well. I'm a dog person. But for my own life? Because I know the freedom that Christ has come to set me free, but I feel like I'm running in the same circles that I ran in 10 years ago. The same thing going around and around and around. That's not who Christ has called me to be. It's not who Christ has called you to be. How do we go from stop running around in the same selfish ambition circles, the same anger circles, the same addiction circles, to running the life and living the life that God has called us to live? Well, we go back to that first command, walk by the power of the Spirit. I left out an important aspect. It doesn't say you singular walk by the Spirit. It doesn't say you as an individual walk by the power of the Spirit. 
The word, the word there is the great southern word, y'all, like they say in Auburn. Y'all walk by the power of the Spirit. You see, often we talk about spiritual formation or holiness or righteousness or freedom. We have this idea that it's just me, myself, and I. Um, we, we pick ourselves up on our, by our own cowboy boots and we do this. But Paul comes and realizes that we can't be the people that God has called us to be. We can't run free. We can't have liberty unless we have each other. God has given us the blood of Jesus Christ. He has given us the spirit of his son, but he's also given us the body of Christ. And that's how we achieve freedom in worship together, in confession to one another, in counseling, in scripture reading, You cannot do it by yourself. You need the spirit of God, but not just the spirit of God that dwells in you. You need the spirit of God that dwells in this community, that dwells in this church. Even the metaphor where Paul talks about crucifying the flesh and its desires. You can't crucify yourself. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much of scripture you know. I don't care what your background, if you're a pastor's kid or a missionary kid. I don't care how much self-control you have. You can't crucify yourself. Let's say you have enough to to nail one side of your anger. How are you going to crucify the other arm? We need each other to help us be crucified to the world so that the world can be crucified to us. In the first century, when Jesus lived and died and was risen, they, the Romans had a practice that whenever they would crucify someone, they would put a soldier at the bottom of the cross. We see this in the gospel passion narratives, right? And that soldier's job was one thing only, to make sure that the person who was on the cross didn't come down until they were dead. I wonder if we talk about crucifying our flesh, whom do you have stationed at the bottom of your cross? Do you have brothers and sisters that love you so much to say, you're not coming down from that cross until you treat your spouse like, you've been, that, like you're supposed to treat them, until you love them like you love yourself? Who do you have at the bottom of the cross say, no, 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 you're not coming down until that road rage and that anger is dead? We need each other to have the freedom and the life. God has not called us to this individual effort, but instead to this corporate endeavor as we walk together by the power of the Spirit. It's only then that we can run and have freedom rather than doing this. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Just want you to ask the Lord what in this message was for you. What is it that has your name on it? What is it that God's Spirit just like going and putting on your heart? For some, it's just a reminder of how amazing and wonderful, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've gotten to the point where you've taken it for granted, and when you think of the gospel, you yawn rather than gape in amazement. God just wants to remind you that, hey, it may be that the reason that you're bored with the gospel is because there's a lot more toppings that you have neglected that that you're not leaning into in your life. For some, it's just that encouragement to keep walking, maybe because of something that someone's done to you, maybe just because of exhaustion, maybe because the flesh has tripped you up. You've, there once was a time where you were walking, but you've just kind of stopped. And God is just encouraging you. So if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, just crawl, but keep moving towards the goal in which Christ has called you to. For some, maybe it's that idea of being in the Spirit. You've kind of gone back to that old neighborhood, the old practices in which you lived before you were redeemed. For some, it may be that you've been trying to walk alone or in your own power, and God's saying, hey, there's a lever. Hey, you're, you're not by yourself. The love of Christ and the presence of His Spirit is everywhere you go. 
For some, it's just that you thought that the flesh has been winning out because that's what it was meant to do. And so the flesh has been keeping you from doing what God has called you to do. And, God, and Paul and, and the Spirit is saying, no, no, no. Now you have the ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. For some, you've been running around in circles. And God just wants you to know he, he sees you. He knows that sometimes you're running around in the circles, not because of just your own uh, rebellion, but because of trauma, because of demonic powers that have hurt you, that are ruling over you. And he wants to give you that hope that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. For some, it's that call to not do it by yourself, but to do it with the church, the people of God, the brothers and sisters that he's called you to be in community with. You've been trying on your own and he's saying, no, it, it doesn't, you can't do it by yourself. You need that person sitting beside you. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that it will come with power, great conviction and the Holy Spirit. Let us know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And God, let us walk in that freedom. And it's in the name of your son and by the power of your spirit that we pray. Amen.